My name is Al Hicks, and I'm not the pastor today, as, as you saw, Chad is, is here. Um, but I'd also like to tell you, I told this to Chad earlier, you know, I've been working on this message for a week or so. And as of uh, last, yesterday afternoon, I had nothing. <laughs> nothing. So, um, but God is, is good. And so he laid it upon my heart yesterday, or yesterday night, and so I started writing it last night, and then I finished it this morning. So it's very fresh on my brain. But I'd also tell you that this is God's sermon. This is not Al Hicks's sermon. God put this upon my heart, and um, so he will get the glory. And I'm just humbled, if you will, to be here. But let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for who it is that you are. Thank you, Lord, for your sovereignty. I thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. I thank you that you are in charge of all things, Lord. And you heard our prayer requests earlier, and we lift them to you again, Lord. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you, Lord, for the things that we don't even know that you do. You do so much more than we understand. You are so much better than we understand. And, Lord, you reached down and you saved us. And I don't get you, but I'm grateful. Lord, thank you for who it is that you are, your love and your grace and your mercy. In your name we pray. Amen. So... Today, I want to make sure that we do something before I really get into the meat of the, of, the, of the sermon, and that is that we need to understand the purpose of the Bible, according to the Bible. Not according to Al Hicks, but according to the Bible. So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now this is a letter that Timothy wrote... I'm sorry, that Paul wrote to the younger Timothy. Timothy was, had become the pastor at the church of Ephesus, and he wrote him a letter, and in this talks about what the purpose of the word is. So let me read this. We're going to start in uh, verse 15. So Second Timothy, I don't know what I said, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. His mother was a Christian, and she taught him the words. So you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing that God has for us. So I call this, these verses, this is the 3D view of how the Bible works and how God works in our lives. He doesn't just say, do this, and leave it at that. He says, do this, don't do this, and then I'll help you with it all. It is our, our pamphlet, if you will, our, our guidebook on life. The problem is we don't read it. And unfortunately, in churches today, they don't read the Bible. And so our job is, in our, I believe our, our mission at this church is to make sure the Bible is read, is taught, and is explained, right, as we go forward. So that's what the, this, what I call this 3D view is. So 
Let me ask a question then. We've, we've got this manuscript that he's given us. He has saved us from our sin, from the consequences of our sin. So let me ask you Christians, those of you who are saved, why do we sin? We were sinners before we got saved, we got saved, and then we keep sinning. Why do we do that? Because we want to. That's the only answer. We want to. We want to sin. We think somehow that sinning is better than God's way. And God saved us from the sin, yet we flip back and go right back into sin. And then we, we, we ask for forgiveness, we repent, and we, we sin again. And God still loves us through all this. We are not perfect. He has forgiven our past sin, our current sin, and our future sin. He knows it all. You know, have you ever tried to quench your lust for living? Lust is unquenchable. But God's love is unbelievable. Hmm. Let me read Galatians 5, 16 and 17. You don't have to turn me with, with me. I'm going to read a lot. I'm going to have a lot of verses today. I don't have a specific uh, uh, set of verses that I'm going to go over, but I have a very specific topic that I'm going to cover today. Okay? So Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't do what your sinful nature craves. God gave us the Holy Spirit when we got saved. He put it in, us, put it in our hearts. That's where he dwells. But he did not remove our sinful nature. I'm going to call that our sinful spirit. He didn't remove that. I don't know why he didn't remove it, but he didn't remove it. He gave us the Holy Spirit, and we still both have this sinful spirit inside of us. So let me read on. The old sinful nature loves to do do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And And the Holy Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting with each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. We sin because we get tempted. We see that sin, or we think that sin is better than being holy, so we sin. You know, it's no different than the the cartoon that you saw when we were kids, right? You had the, the devil on one shoulder, and you had the angel on the other shoulder, telling you... Oh, go do this. This will be fun. This one over here. Oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that, right? And that's exactly what's going on with us today. But we have a choice. And oftentimes our choice is to give in. And that's not what God wants. I just wrote down, no wonder we sin. So how does the Bible say we're to live? One word, with humility. How does the evil nature tell us to sin? One word, 
with pride. So let's look at a few verses. Just so you know that I'm not making this stuff up. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud. You're at enmity with God when you're proud. But he gives us grace, or gives grace to the humble. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. That's pride. But rather in humility, count others as more significant as yourselves. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up and give you honor. The problem is, we like to lift ourselves up and give ourselves honor. We think that's our role. That's not our role. Our role is to do the opposite of that. Our role as Christians is to show humility. Humility has nothing to do with pride. Put others before yourself. We want to put ourselves at the head of the line. This is America. This is how we do things. You know, we have a thing in in America that's called self-esteem. And everybody's looking for self-esteem. And self-esteem is does nothing for it. it, You can't quench your self-esteem. Can you quench greediness? No, it's more. You You can't quench lust. It's just more. Nothing's quenchable. And pride is that same way. We, we like to lift ourselves up, and it just doesn't, it's not enough. We, we do more and more and more. We become egomaniacs. The Bible says in Proverbs 16.5, the Lord despises the proud. The King James says it's an abomination. Be assured the proud will be punished, it says. In Proverbs 26, 12, there is more hope for a fool than a man who is wise in his own eyes. You know, we are experts on ourselves. We know more about ourselves than anybody else, at least we think. We know what makes us feel good, so we think. We make us, knows what makes us feel bad, so we think. But God knows us inside and out, and we think that somehow we know more than God. We do not. God is sovereign. We are not. Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty or proud. Don't try to to act important. But enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't think you know it all. All of these are are talking specifically against pride. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, I want to focus on this verse for just a minute. You know, there is a feeling in church, and people will say it, that I think is wrong. And what I mean by that is, there's a lot of you who will say, God doesn't give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. That is wrong. He may not give you what you want. He gives you what you need. But ultimately, when you're in right uh, relationship with God, what he gives you is what you want. God gives us what we want. Sometimes we just don't know it. And it says, for our 
enjoyment. It is joy that he gives us. You know, you ever been around a, a Christian who's just down in the mouth all the time? There's no joy there. It's like they're weaned on dill pickles, right? I mean, like, who wants to be around that? And so we have to understand that he has given these things to us for our enjoyment, for joy, and yet what do we do with them? We complain about them. You know, God's blessings are blessings that are perfect for us. They are perfect for us. They may not be the blessings somebody else gets, but the blessings that Al Hicks gets is perfect for Al Hicks. And I can't explain that. I don't know why it's not the same all over the place. Because God is a God of relationship that it's personal. He knows us personally. He knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly how to discipline us so that we continue to grow in his love. Right? Now, so again, the Bible tells us not to be proud, but to be humble. Now, Jesus' ministry, how long did it last? Three years, right? Not very long. Who was his audience? There was a lot of people. In fact, it says he preached to the multitudes. And the multitudes means they preached to thousands. He was very... Um, I'm going to use the word, and I don't take it the wrong way. He was very entertaining. He spoke truth, and he wasn't boring. People loved to hear from him. And those that were his disciples and those that were looking to follow him were part of the crowd because they were looking to learn from him. But also part of the crowd were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees wanted to hear him so they could trap him and they could kill him. We've got to decide who we're going to be. Are we going to be the Pharisee and think it's all about me? Or are we going to be the, the disciples and say it's all about him? So there's two sets of heart. One followed sinful nature. The other followed Jesus. In Luke 7, 17, 1 through 10, I'm not going to read this. But this was part of a larger sermon that he was speaking to the multitudes. And when he spoke to the multitudes, I think it's from chapter 11 through 19, I think it's all in there. But when he spoke, he did compare and contrast. So he would talk about the Pharisees and say, don't do what they do. And then he would turn around and look to his disciples and say, in the next breath, and say, but do this. And what he said the Pharisees did was exactly what we weren't supposed to do, yet he turned around and gave us exactly what we are to do. He did this all the time. He'd look at the Pharisees and they'd tell them something. They hated him for it. But the Pharisees were the spiritual leaders. And they were the ones who were endowed to be the spiritual leaders for the Jews. And they were doing everything other than being spiritual. They're being proud. So he said, be humble, and he said it this way. He gave four things. He said, restrain from offending others. And then he looked at the Pharisees and said, and the Pharisees offend everybody. And they're proud to offend everybody. Because they will not even associate with sinners, yet they'll call a sinner out for publicly for everybody to ridicule. Hmm. 
Then he said, be ready, be eager to forgive. Not like the Pharisees who want to condemn. And they certainly will not forgive someone that's hurt them. They will hold them with disdain and publicly ridicule them. He said to forgive, and they had disdain. Number three, recognize your weakness. Why should you recognize your weakness? Because in our weakness, we see him more. It increases our faith. The Pharisees believed they had no weaknesses. Now get that, they had no weaknesses. If you've ever met somebody who didn't have any weaknesses, I will tell you, you have met an unbelievably proud man. It's unbelievable. They don't think they've ever done anything wrong. You know, you've probably seen the shirt. You know, it, the only reason I know I'm right is because I asked my dad, right? <laughs> As if dad knew everything, right? So we have to remember that the opposite of that was to exalt themselves. He said, look for your weaknesses because that will increase your faith. But he said, the Pharisees want to exalt themselves and see no weakness in them. And then he said, reject honor as unworthy. And he gave the, the example, if you are a slave and you were out in the field all day, you didn't just come in the house then and eat. No, you had to prepare the meal. Then you had to prepare the meal. Then give the meal to the master first and don't expect even a thank you for it because that was your job. Jesus said, I have come to serve. No, I'm sorry. He said, I, I've come not to serve. Jeez. Not to be served, but to serve. Who among you wants to serve naturally? The answer is nobody. We all want to be served. That is the dilemma that we have between pride and humility. And I I wrote this down. I think this is very interesting. The people at that time in the Jewish um, towns, the Pharisees had the most power and prestige, and people aspired to be like them. It's no different than today. We look at our politicians, we look at our really wealthy people, and we aspire to be like them even though we don't like them because they're all so proud. It's no different. That's why I love the Bible. The Bible says, gives us all these things to look at, and yet it's hard for us to apply it into our own lives. If we don't apply it into our own lives, then tell me what's the use of the Bible? Because it's easy to just look at the Pharisees and say, ah, they, those guys were not very bright. You know, they just were fools. Well, what are we? When we decide to follow our sinful nature, what are we? I want to read read this. This is Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. You don't have to turn there. Just write it down. You can look it up later, and I'll read it to you. It says, What can we bring to the Lord... To make up for what we've done. Should we bow before God with offerings of yearly calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of olive oil? What would please the the Lord? Should we sacrifice our firstborn of rivers? No, I'm sorry. Sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for the sins of our souls? Would that make him glad? No, O people. The Lord has already told you what is good. 
And this is what he requires to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Humility is the name of the game for Christians, but only through Christ. You cannot be humble on your own. Through Christ we can, but Christ has got to work through us. Jesus said, apart from me, you are nothing. And if we try to be humble on our own, apart from God, we only get proud. Then we get to act like we're humble so that people tell us how good we are. We make no sense. The human heart is desperately wicked, the Bible says. And so, if we understand this, then the question is, why do we keep doing what we're doing? And I don't have the answer to that. I just know that God is gracious. He gives us what we do not deserve. And he shows us mercy. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. Jesus himself said, For the proud will be humbled and the humbled will be honored. Pride's our problem. You know, pride is the sin that got Satan out of heaven. Pride is the sin that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. So what's the solution for the unsaved? It's Christ. What's the solution for the saved? Humility in Christ. You know, this is very good. Pride leads the list of vices. Pride is the source of every sin. Humility leads the the list of all the virtues. So what's the definition of pride? I had to look this up. And it says, high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, I want to read this, this is really good. He said, um, and the, the paragraph of this is, the great sin, pride. It says, pride is essentially competitive at its very nature. I want you to listen to this very carefully. Pride is essentially competitive in its very nature. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Only having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or equally good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. See, we use the bad standard. We compare ourselves one to another. And I find it very interesting. What is the definition of rich? Someone who's got more than me. So it doesn't matter how much you got. There's always somebody who's got more. Let me read on. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest, 
A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And Christ is the standard, not somebody else. All right. Now, so the question is going to be then, are we going to be Christ-sufficient or self-sufficient? We in America say you're going to pick yourselves up by your bootstraps and we've got to really take things on and do for yourself. And that, of course, unfortunately goes directly against what the Bible says, what God says. He expects us to work hard, but in, under him, not under me. Let me read this. Are we going to follow? And I don't remember where I got this, so this, but it's really good. It said, "Are we going to follow the Holy Spirit and become Christ-sufficient, or are we going to follow human nature and become self-sufficient?" To follow the Holy Spirit requires surrender. Surrender to our human spirit. We are converted to faith at a moment of surrender, and it's on a daily surrender that is needed to be Christ-sufficient after. We're saved. So when you got saved, when I got saved, we had to take ourselves off the pedestal and put God on it and surrender to that. But God also says, Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Every day we have to do this. God saved us by his grace. So why do we rely back on our Holy Spirit that's already failed us? Let me give you an example of what pride looks like. Because it's easy to look at the Pharisees and say, yeah, I would never do that. But each of us has pride in us that is natural. You know, you don't have to teach a two-year-old to say mine. They get it. They understand it. You have to teach them to share. Share is humility. Because you don't want to give that up. But I got saved when I was nine years old. I had to take off my pride. And I would tell you, I don't even know when I was nine years old if I understood what pride was. You see, I came from a, a really good Christian home. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. She was also the church secretary and the church treasurer. My dad was a deacon. He was also the, the Sunday school superintendent. Um, we went to church all the time. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, and any other times the door was open. I was from a really good home. And I was proud to be a Hicks. My parents were seen as good people. They were saved, and they knew what it meant to be saved. Who wouldn't be proud of that? You know, my mom also sang solos in church. And so we were around music all the time, and she passed none of that on to me. But I remember we'd go to church, and we would sing. And we'd sing these wonderful hymns, and my favorite was on Calvary. And the old Baptist hymnal, it was number 99. That was my favorite, man. I'd sing like there's no tomorrow, that thing. But I didn't even know what the words were. I mean, it meant nothing to me. I, I sang them. I know what they said, but it meant nothing to me. <laughs> and so, you know, I've been going to school, or Sunday school, I've been going to church, 
I'd been going to vacation Bible school. I'd been going to Wednesday night services. You name it, I'd been there. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit tapped on me. And he said, I don't know what he said. But I knew what he wanted. I knew, because I'd seen other people do it, go forward and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I, we didn't have nice cushioned seats like this. We had pews. And the whole entire church service went on. Nothing happened. Nothing happened during the first part of the songs. Nothing happened during the sermon. And it wasn't until they decided to sing the song, Just As I Am, that all of a sudden I'm not only tapped, my heart is pounded on. And he wanted me to come forward. But I put my hands into that pew in front of me and I dug in. And I said, I'm not going to go forward. I don't want to embarrass myself. See, that's pride. And embarrassment is one of the biggest reasons we will not do things that God wants us to do. What are other people going to say about us? What are my drinking buddies going to say if all of a sudden I get saved? How am I going to explain to them? They're going to make fun of me. That's really embarrassing. So I dug in, and I knew one thing. I knew that if I went forward, I was going to cry. Men don't cry. Boys don't cry. Boys never cry in front of other boys, and they certainly never cry in front of girls. And I knew I was going to cry, man. I was holding on. And pride won that day. And I sat back down. I didn't go forward. That's what pride is. And nothing happened after that. The next week, nothing. So I'd gone to, to church service Wednesday night. We sang on Calvary again. Nothing happened. I went to Sunday school the next Sunday. Nothing happened. I went to the church service, heard the pastor preach. Nothing happened. And then if they didn't go sing, what? Just as I am again. And I dug my hands in because it's there all over again. And I'm, my heart's pounding and I'm sweating. I do not want to go forward because I know I'm going to cry. I'm going to embarrass myself all over the place. And I let it go. And I went forward. And I wept. But I gave it up. Because I didn't care. Because I knew Jesus had something for me that I could not get for myself. It was the love of Christ that he had for me. And it was through his grace that he saved me. And when we understand that, we come forward and we give it up. And there is no more pride when one weeps. I would tell you, I didn't want to weep. But I gave it up. And I came forward and the pastor asked me this great question. He said, Al, why are you here? Well, didn't he know? And then he said, do you want to be saved? I said, that's what I want. And I was saved. I just asked Jesus into my heart. I knew that it wasn't anything about me. But it was pride that held me on, right? That I was holding on to that pew. And it's pride that will keep you from doing what's right. It's going to be pride that's going to keep you from repenting. 
And it's exactly what God asks us not to have. He asks us to have humility. Pride keeps us from being saved. Pride keeps us from doing the things that are right. Pride keeps us from forgiveness. Pride keeps us from putting others ahead of ourselves. Pride is the one that destroys relationship. It's humility. It's the one that helps the relationship. Everything that we think is right is wrong when we follow our own sinful human nature. It is wrong. And yet today, people will bellow out what is right. And it is wrong. And are we going to be full of pride and be embarrassed and not speak up? Are we going to let our children just hear this garbage and not say anything to them so that we don't feel embarrassed? What about us grandparents? Are we going to do nothing to help our grandkids? Are we going to sit alongside and let them, the world just destroy them? Are we going to sit there in our pride and say, I'm too embarrassed to say anything? God does not want that from us. By the way, when I got saved, and I came down and I wept, it, it was really great. Um, seriously, it was really great. I, I came forward, and the reason we come forward, by the way, it, the Bible says that if you um, um, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you are saved, or that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So that's the whole point of coming down. You're showing people, telling people that you are in fact saved, that Jesus Christ is your one. When I came down, I came down weeping, James 4.10 came to life for me. And James 4.10 says, when you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up and give you honor. And when I'm sitting there weeping, he lifted me up. He gave me honor. It was unbelievable. I was a perfect witness to what the Bible says is true. We live it over and over and over again. The, the song says, let me prove it, or and or, again. So God is a complete God. He has the 3D view of us. He wants us to have a 3D view of him. God is unbelievably good. You know, he saves, he convicts, and he shows us a way out. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, But remember that temptations that come into your life are no different than what others experience. In other words, it's common. But when you are tempted, it doesn't feel common. Remember Flip Wilson? Devil made me do it. Well, devil doesn't make you do anything. The devil just tempts you. But God gives us a way out. If... We look for it. Oftentimes we don't look for it. We just like what, he's, what it appears to us to be, and we go for that. So let me keep reading. It says, but remember that temptations that come into our life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful, and he will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. That is a 3D God. He knows it, he knows the temptation, he knows the way out, and he gives you a way out. God is really, really good. But there's one other thing that I want to say. 
In 1 Corinthians 9.12, it asks us not to be a hindrance into the gospel. So if you're speaking about the gospel, but living like the devil, you are a hindrance to the gospel. That is what the Bible says. doesn't mean God's not bigger than me, but understand that there's a consequence for sin. We do not want to be a hindrance into the gospel. What a warning. Vanna and the praise team, if you come, let us pray. Lord, we love you. We are not worthy except by you. And then you say that we're worthy. But Lord, you've asked us to be humble and show humility to others. And Lord, our nature is that we want to show ourselves to others. We want to lift ourselves up. And Lord, you've asked us not to do that, to do it a different way, a better way. Lord, help us get what you want us to have. On our own, Lord, you know we're going to screw it all up. Lord, you're complete. And without you, I am incomplete. The world is lost. They just don't know it. Lord, help us to not be a hindrance to the ministry. Lord, help us to to be humble. And your promises, then when we are, we submit to you, you lift us up and give us honor. And the honor that you give is ten times what man can give. Oh, Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.